Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. As always, wonderful to spend some time with you on a Wednesday afternoon and uh, have some fascinating ideas that I look forward to sharing with you today. Um, the, uh, we've been very fortunate here in Johannesburg to have a very distinguished and illustrious guest who's been visiting from the United States. His name is Robert Aaron Kotler and he's the grandson of the great and well-known Talmud Chochem, um, Rav Aaron Kotler, who built Lakewood Yeshiva and was respond- responsible for much of the resurgence of Torah um, after the Holocaust and after World War II. Um, Rav Kotler was brought out here by the Torah Chaim Kolel, which is a Kolel that operates from Osameach. Um, they, they have a five-year cycle that the Abrechim, the, the uh, students learn in, after which they receive a smicha, they receive the rabbinic ordination. And they've just completed a, their second five-year cycle. And so a number of young rabbis are, have come through the ranks, have qualified. And to celebrate this momentous occasion, they brought out Rabbi Kotler. Rabbi Kotler himself has been very involved in the kollel and has been advising for many years um, in terms of the structure and the building of the kollel. He, he was and obviously is uniquely positioned to do so because – he took over the network of yeshivas and kolonim in Lakewood um, and has run them for many, many years. Um, his, gra- his grandfather started Lakewood Yeshiva in 1943 um, with 13 Talmudim uh, when his grandfather passed away in 1962. There were 250 Talmudim and today there are over 7,000 Talmudim and in the greater Lakewood area, there's approximately 70,000 from Jews, which is really quite unbelievable to see the empire that has been built, started by Rabbi Aaron Kotler, carried on by his son, Rabbi Schneer Kotler, and then carried on by his grandsons, Rabbi Markil Kotler, the Rosh Hashiva, and uh, Rabbi Aaron Kotler, who has been in charge of the administration and building of the significant Torah network, the largest that exists in the world. Um, Rabbi Kotler spoke last night at the dinner um, celebrating this wonderful achievement and occasion and he said such fascinating things about his grandfather which I would love to share with you um, and that's very appropriate to do so his grandfather's Yotzad actually is next Shabbos he's on the 2nd of Kislev so next Shabbos is the date of his grandfather's Yotzad so let's talk a little bit about who Rabbi Aaron Kotler was and his Fantastic achievements um, in the world. Rabbi Aaron Kotler was um, a young Talmud Chochem who was already noticed in Europe. Um, he it was uh, clear from an early age that he was unique and he was talented. Um, he was born in 1891 in a small town um, in what was then Lithuania. Today's Belarus, uh, Svilak, it's called. 
And uh, at the very young age of six, he was orphaned. He was brought up by his uh, uncle, Rabbi Yitzhak uh, Pines, who was a Dayan in Minsk. And uh, Rabbi, his grandson said last night that there's a famous phrase that was um, coined by the uh, renowned refusenik, Rabbi Eliyahu Essas, um, the Russian refusenik who, despite um, going against the law in Russia and putting his life in danger, continued to teach Torah to many, many people. And he used to say that they're trying to rob us of the Torah. We're not going to let them rob us of the Torah. And he said that his grandfather, Rabbi Aaron Kotler, there were almost three occasions where he was robbed of Torah in his life. And uh, he resisted all three of them. The first one was when he was a young man in Minsk. Um, and he already emerged as a leader, as somebody who was very capable, as somebody who was very smart. And the maskilim, the maskilim were the ones who wanted to pull away from Torah and observance and embrace the new lifestyles and isms of the world. And the maskilim actually targeted him. And they also targeted, targeted Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. And they were working on them to try to bring them over to be a part of their movement and a part of their secular um, humanism, which they thought was the future for the world. Um, and Baruch Hashem, that didn't happen. And uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Aaron Kotler, as a young man, left Minsk because of these pressures, and he went to learn in Yeshiva in Slobodka, the famous Yeshiva in Slobodka. Um, his Rosh Yeshivas in Slobodka were the altar of Slobodka, Rav Nosten Finkel and Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein. Um, so that's the first time that he was almost robbed of the Torah. Um, he then went to open a yeshiva with his father-in-law, Rabbi Issa Zalman Maltza, in Slutsk. And um, soon after they opened the yeshiva, it was very successful, the yeshiva, the communists uh, began to take power in that area. And the communists shut them down. The communists arrested them. The communists beat Rabbi Aaron Kotler on numerous occasions. And they warned him and said to him, if you continue to teach Torah, we're going to kill you. The great progressive, peace-loving um, socialist movement. They warned Rabbi Aaron Kotler that if we catch you teaching spirituality, teaching about God, teaching about God's commandments in the Torah, so we're going to kill you. And in fact, um, his grandson said that his father often said that the Soviet officer who warned him that they're going to kill him was actually a Jew, was was a Yid. Um, and so they moved from Slutsk to Kletsk. Kletsk at the time was in Poland. And at that time, Poland wasn't under communist rule. Um, Poland was free. And uh, they successfully reopened the yeshiva in Poland. And... Um, then, soon after that, was the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact between the Russians and the Nazis, and the Russians once more um, occupied the area where they were, and the same people that had threatened their lives had come across the border and were threatening their lives once more. So that's the second time that he almost was robbed of Torah um, by the communists in both Slutsk and Kletsk. Um, they then went to Vilna. At that stage, uh, before the Nazis attacked the Russians in 1941, so Vilna was still 
in a little bit of limbo, was a little bit grey. It was, became, it was an international city, although there were many Russian agents that were wor- working throughout Vilna. But they had um, they successfully um, opened the yeshiva, the, moved the yeshiva to Vilna. But they realized that it was very dangerous, and they realized that it wouldn't be long till the Russians came to Vilna as well. And so they um, they then moved the yeshiva out into a few smaller of the towns. They split up into three, and into three of the uh, Trok and another two towns um, that were outside Vilna, so it would be of a lower profile. And they kept on teaching Torah in those small villages, and they kept on learning the Talmudim. But they knew also that it wouldn't be long till the Nazis came. And so they uh, realized that their time was very, very short, and they would have to get out as best they could. Some people got out with the bigger yeshivas that they went um, uh, via Russia to Shanghai, and that's how they survived the war. Um, and Rab Aaron, there were a few fortunate individuals that were able to escape Europe um, through affidavits that were signed by Jewish citizens of the United States, and they produced those affidavits to the State Department um, in which they committed to look after and, and take care of these European Jews. Um, and obviously they would have to prove financially that they would be able to, they would, they would be able to sustain them. And these individuals wouldn't be a strain on the American economy. Rabbi Aaron already was somebody who stood out. Um, I, I, I actually asked Rabbi Kotler last night and said, you know, was he already seen as a leader of, of Klaistral? And he said that in the 1929, um, uh, Knesset Agudoyla of the, the great rabbis of Europe, they met in 1929 in Marienpol, which was like a, a well-known summer resort in Europe. And uh, Rav Chaim Ozekrzynski, who was the Gadla Doris, the great rabbi of the generation, so he noticed Rav Kotler. He met Rav Kotler, and he spent most of his time with him. And the older Rabbonim started getting frustrated and said, you know, why are you spending time with this young man? He was in his early 30s. And there were great sages that were there were much older. And Rav Chaim Ozer said, because the future of Klai Yisrael is going to rest on this man's shoulders. So he was known and already seen, and therefore identified by the Vahat Sala in America, and they were able to get affidavits and bring him over to America. So that was the third time that he was saved. He was not robbed. His Torah was not robbed from him. And he escaped the Nazis and went to the United States. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the great Rabbi Aaron Kotler and how his grandson described that almost three times the Torah was stolen from him and he was able to manage to overcome all three of those tests and challenges. And um, I asked him after his talk and said, you know, was it not that your father and grandfather were broken after the Holocaust and completely devastated by what happened to European Jewry? And he said, it didn't break them, it it urged them and inspired them to have the attitude that they're not going to do this to us. They're not going to take away our people and our Torah and our connection to God. We are going to build Torah, and we're going to build the Jewish people, and we're going to not stop and not let them um, destroy us. And they, they had this tremendous drive and motivation 
um, in order to do so. And Baruch Hashem, they were very, very successful at that. And he, he said something very interesting. He said that all of our grandparents, it's uh, interesting that us, us, us South African Jews, we are, um, descendants of Jews from Lithuania and our ancestors were in Lithuania for many centuries and they were dedicated to Torah mitzvahs in Lithuania for many centuries. And, um, the, the, the Torah was robbed from them. The circumstances and the situation and the, um, the reality of the world at that time resulted in a religious spiritual genocide to our ancestors. And the Torah was robbed and taken away from them. And we need to take it back. We need to regain our heritage. We need to reclaim our holy tradition. And we need to hold on to it with a great love and a great um, appreciation for what it is and for the values that it teaches us in our lives. And although we've seen tremendous development and growth, Baruch Hashem, in South Africa, in terms of the Torah, in terms of mitzvahs, in terms of observance, in terms of our community, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's really, really beautiful to see the South African Jewish community and the connection that the South African Jewish community has to Torah and mitzvahs and to our identity. And, you know, what is our identity? Our identity is that we're religious Jews, is that we are connected to the Torah and we are connected to the mitzvahs. And that's something that we... Um, we really are able to um, hold on to with a great joy and great pride and a, a beautiful um, sense of appreciation and love. Um, and it's very important that we do so. Um, uh, it's very, very important that we do so. Um, but he said a very interesting thing, Rabbi Kotler. He said that in, uh, an amazing thing, which I think moved me deeply. He said in 1945, um, after the war, so his grandfather traveled to Cairo to convince the rabbis um, in Cairo to open a yeshiva, to start a yeshiva. And um, the Lakewood was two years old, and um, on his way back from Cairo, he actually went twice. The second time he brought Rabbi Herzog, who was the chief rabbi of Israel, and he, he, he tried to impress upon the rabbonim in Cairo, that the future of the Jewish people is building Yeshivas, is building Torahs, teaching Torah to the next generation. Without that, we're going to fade away. And with that, we'll develop and we'll grow and we'll thrive, as we've seen is the model throughout the world. And the rabbis, um, on his way back, so he w- went past Eretz Israel, and he was interviewed by a um, newspaper, by a journalist from the Devar newspaper. And they said to him that... Um, you know, what, what was the purpose of your meeting in Cairo? He said, in order to build, in order to convince the rabbis to build um, yeshivas over there. And he said, you know, they said to him, well, you focused on Cairo. Well, what about your work in America? He said, um, in Lakewood, my work is already done. The, the, the Lakewood yeshiva was two years old. He had, he started with 13 students. By then he had about 19 students. He said, my work's already done. They need to do the work in Cairo. So, he, he, you know, although he said my work is done, we see what came from that work. Although he had laid the foundation, it grew into a massive, vibrant center of Torah learning and of Yiddishkeit. And so, although in South Africa we feel that perhaps we've built wonderful institutions and we've um, 
we've there's been a wonderful return to Yiddishkeit and to the learning of Torah, but perhaps this is just the beginning, and there certainly is so much work still to be done, and there's so much for us to to ensure that we um, are connected and involved and um, do the utmost that we can in order to build Torah and to build Yiddishkeit um, here in South Africa for ourselves, for our children, and for the future generations. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we spoke about the great Rabbi Aaron Kotler and his tremendous achievements, and it really should be inspiring to all of us that if we put in the efforts and our Lashem Shemaim, so the fruits that can grow from those efforts are quite incredible and unbelievable. Rabbi Aaron passed away in 1962, um, and uh, at his funeral in the United States in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, there were 25,000 people um, that came to the funeral. His body was then flown to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, he was buried on Haram Anuchos. There were 30,000 people in Eretz Yisrael that went to his Levaya. Rabbi Aaron's remembered as being a fire, a person of fire who defended Torah with great passion and great love and had a tremendous commitment and love for the Jewish people. Um, in fact, he, he, there's a selection of books that are the talks that Rabbi Aaron gave through the years in his yeshiva. It's called Mishnas Rabbi Aaron. Very beautiful books and very powerful words. Um, maybe I'll share with you just, you know, some some highlights, three highlights of the teachings of Aaron Kotler. One of them was the way he lived his life, which really he he he, he was the example and um, the, uh, the the great model of this quality. And that is, he says, the pasuk in Shmois, Perik Beis, pasuk Yudad, it says, "VeYigdal Moshe, VeYetzel Achiv." The Pasuk says that Moshe Yigdal, he grew up and he went out to his brothers. So the Kashi is, why is the Torah telling us that Moshe Rabbeinu grew up where he had his bar mitzvah? So the Torah is telling us he had his bar mitzvah. That's not any, you know, that's not information that we, that is relevant and significant. So Rav Aaron explains and he says, for Yigdal means he matured. How did Moshe Rabbeinu mature? When did he mature? The Yetzel Echav. When a person has the ability and the capacity to see others. And to see the suffering of others and to empathize with the plight of other human beings, which is hard for us because we are all by nature very narcissistic. We are all very self-centered and it's not easy for us to see beyond ourselves. It takes work to see somebody else and somebody else's life and somebody else's family and somebody else's experience and emotions. Um, we know we all come across regularly narcissistic individuals that is just about them. There's no space in the world for anybody else. It can't be easy to be married to such a person because, you know, there's not even space for their spouse. So the growth and maturity of human being is indicative of the ability to see somebody else, to take note of somebody else, to be able to empathize with the plight of another. And says Rav Aaron Kotta, that's what the Torah is telling us about Moshe. That when did he grow up? When did he mature? When he was Vayetzel Achiv, when he went out to see his brother, went out of himself and he saw the plight of Klai Yisrael. There was an indication of yiktal, of, of maturity and of growth. And that was very much his life. His life was the Yetzel Echav. He dedicated his life to building the Jewish people, to building the Torah for the Jewish people, 
to connect us to Hashem, to rebuilding the destruction that was done by the Nazis um, and by the communists um, during and after World War II. So, uh, and he actually says, Rav Aaron, that's, that's an application of Vahalach de Bedrachav, of following in the ways of Hashem is seeing the uh, seeing others. In other words, Hashem is Mahurachum Mahatarachum. As Hashem is compassionate, we have to be compassionate. as Hashem is kind, we have to be kind. So an application of emulating Hashem, which is our responsibility, it's one of the commandments in the Torah, is seeing the others, uh, seeing other people and being able to empathize, empathize with them. So that's one famous teaching of Aaron that he emphasized and he modeled in his life. There's another beautiful teaching of, of that comes from Mishnah's Rabbi Aaron, where Rabbi Aaron Kotler says that a very important middah and quality that we should have as human beings is that of seder, of order. Um, we need to, uh, he says we see the example of that in the Torah, in Sefer Bamidbar, we see the Shvatim, we see the, the, the tribes, that they each one had their own position in the formation of the encampment of Klal Yisrael, and each one had their own role in their service of Hashem and of the Jewish people. We had the Levim, we had the Kohanim, we had all the tribes, each one very uh, strategically placed, but had their own position. It was done with order, with Seder. And Rav Aaron says that we achieve menuchas anefesh, which means a sense of, of calmness and tranquility in our life when we have um, seder, when we have order, when we are well organized and we are approach things with a, a sense of organization. And he says, That applies to all aspects of our life and certainly to our void as Hashem, to serving Hashem. It needs to be done not in a haphazard or random way, but in a very well organized um, way that we have to introduce Seder into our lives. Um, another very beautiful teaching of Rabbi Aaron Kotler in Mishnah's Rabbi Aaron is he speaks about tefillah, about davening. And Rabbi Aaron Kotler says that Hashem doesn't need our prayers. The definition of God is God is omnipotent. God is a perfect being that is all powerful. God doesn't need my prayers. Uh, it doesn't make any difference to God. He says, but the prayers change us. They mold us. They direct us and strengthen our own connection to God and our own emuna, our own belief in God. So when we say Rafa'inu, when we say Hashem heal us, it makes a great impression upon us that healing comes from Hashem. The doctors are Hashem's shluchim, Hashem's messengers, and Hashem sends the healing. So that helps us understand and appreciate and um, strengthens our our connection to God. Baruch we ask Hashem to bless the years and bless our our prosperity and the source of our income that impresses upon us that it comes from Hashem, that it's all from Hashem, and strengthens Aymuna. So Aymuna, Tefillah, is a very important exercise in developing our own belief system and in our own understanding of how the world runs and how Hashem operates. And when we do that, when we change ourselves, that opens up the storehouses of blessing that are waiting to be showered upon us in this world. In other words, it's an act of self-movement and development, prayer, um, the meditation that we do three times a day. Shemun it's a deep meditation of moving ourselves spiritually, of bringing ourselves closer to Hashem, of connecting our, ourselves to 
the higher worlds and the blessings that flow down from those higher worlds. So when we do that self-work, then we open up those channels and the blessing flows down to us. That's the mechanism of prayer um, that Rav Aaron describes so powerfully and so beautifully. So we were greatly privileged to have the grandson of Aaron Kotler, whose name is also Aaron Kotler, who was born a year after his grandfather passed away. And uh, we remember the great example and role model that Rav Aaron was, a person who is supremely dedicated to Torah and to building Torah and to building Klai Yisrael. In the session, we should all follow that example and that uh, great life that Rav Aaron Kotler lived. Okay, wonderful. So let's move on. And it's a, what, what I want to share with you now is actually a similar kind of message, um, which we, we see from the parsha. So Rav Aaron Kotler used his life to the maximum and did tremendous things with the opportunities that Hashem sent him. And the prototype of that attitude actually comes from this week's parsha. Because the Torah tells us about Sarah Imenu, our great matriarch Sarah, um, and the Torah opens up. This week's parsha is called Chaye Sarah. The Torah tells us, "V'yu Chaye Sarah Mea Shana Ve'Eshim Shana Ve'Sheva Shanim Shnei Chaye Sarah." And it was the life of Sarah, Sarah, hundred years and twenty years and seven years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So. The obvious question is, why doesn't the Torah just say 127? Why does it say 100 years and 20 years and 7 years? It's a strange way to describe that number, the 127 years that Sarah lived. Rashi says, The reason why God wrote, um, the told Moses to write, God dictated to Moses to write it in this way, um, that it was 100 years and 20 years and 7 years. In order to tell us that each of those components of her life should are coming to teach us a lesson. What are the lessons? That when she was a hundred, she was like she was twenty with regards to sin. Just as a twenty-year-old, there's no sin. Why? We say that a person only becomes a, 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 a ben or a bas unshim. In other words, we only become exposed to the consequences and the punishments from heaven when we turn 20. That's only from 20 onwards are we held accountable from heaven's point of view for our actions. Af bas kuf belochet. So just as, she, so, so therefore the Torah is telling us that just at the age of 20, her record was clean and 100 was just as clean. There was no, there was no, um, there was no accusations against her. And also, Bas Kuf Belochet, or Bas Okay, that's what we said. And so it says, she was a hundred like she was twenty, that she had no, no sins to her name. And at twenty, she was like a seven year old in terms of her innocence, in terms of her purity, in terms of her beauty. There's nothing more beautiful than an innocent child that has not been tainted by the world. So that's how Sarah was at the age of 20, just like she was at the age of seven. So um, it's a very beautiful teaching that the Torah is telling us about the greatness of Sarah Emanu. The Sfas Emma says on this a, a very powerful thing. The Sfas Emma says that there are different phases in our lives, and we have different challenges during the different, different phases in our lives. And, you know, our tests and our challenges and our um, 
our issues that we face when we are a teenager are very different to when we are in our 20s. And those are very different to when we're in our 30s and 40s and 50s, etc., etc. So the Swasema says the Torah is telling us that throughout those different stages in Sarah's life, she maximized her opportunities. As it says, Shnei Chayei Sarah, Rashi says, Kulan Shavin Latoira. All of those years were equal for good. In other words, Sarah maximized her opportunity in her life, and it didn't matter which phase she was in, didn't matter which um, stage of life she was going through, she was always successful in making the most of that opportunity in her life. And that's a very important, powerful lesson for all of us, and a, a great source of inspiration for all of us, because we all need to rise to the occasion and make the most of the opportunities that Hashem is sending us. And we see uh, later on in the Pasha, we see a very similar thing as well. Um, it says with regards to Avraham Havinu, um, later on in the Pasha, so it says that Avraham was a person who was Baba Yamim. It, it says Zakein, he became old, or Baba Yamim, and he came with his days. So what does that mean, Avraham came with his days? The Zohar Kaddish says that all of Avraham's days were successful. In other words, he had with him all of those days. He took with him the um, opportunity and potential that every single day of his life presented itself with. He came with all of his days. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Yeah, Josh was just mentioned, what have you done to save, to change the world? And Hashem created the world for you. And that is the great message we learned from this week's Pasha. That Sarah Imano Kulan Shabim Latoiva, all of her years were for good. She maximized her opportunity in this world. And the we learn at the beginning of the Pasha and at the end of the Pasha, the same message is consistent and comes through that Avraham Zaken Babayamim, he came to his old age with his days. And the Zohar says that it means that he used his days successfully, that his days were not wasted, that he didn't have gaps in his life in which he had nothing to show for his days. Each and every day he was able incredibly to use the opportunity and to use the spiritual potential of that day. And um, he realized, Avraham Avinu, and she realized, Sarah Imeno, that each day is unique. Each day is special. Each day is a day that will never be repeated. It will never be the same tomorrow. And the opportunities of today are very different to the opportunities of tomorrow. That Hashem in His goodness renews each day. And each day is different and unique and special and has with it unique opportunities. And that's what Sarah and Abraham were able to teach us and able to show us. In fact, Chazal, our sages, tell us that we should view each day as our last day. It sounds like a depressing thing, you know, like this is my last day, I better go and, you know, make sure that I have a will and, you know, everything sorted out. But it's not, uh, that's not the, the message, uh, the context of, of what they're saying. Chazal are telling us that we should realize that today's opportunities are unique. 
They're not going to be repeated. And we need to make the most of the opportunities of today. Um, you know, sometimes you go on holiday or you in a situation where you know that this is the one time you're going to be here and you're going to be able to enjoy the the opportunities that you have in this place. So we try to maximize it and not to miss out on those opportunities. So we should view every day like that and see that Hashem sending us opportunities and sending us challenges each day. And we are trying to not miss out on gaining what we can from that day, but rather overcoming those challenges in a positive way and using those opportunities properly as Avram and Sarah did. There's an interesting midrash that says that Rabbi Akiva was giving a shear to his Talmidim, the great and holy Rabbi Akiva. And his Talmidim, his students, some of them were falling asleep. You know, this midrash makes me feel okay because <laughs> I'm not the only one <laughs> when I'm giving a a shear or a drosha that people are dozing off, you know, especially Friday night when people are really tired and there, there goes the rabbi again, you know, one of his uh, rants. So, uh, so even the great Rabbi Akiva had Talmudim that were falling asleep in his shear. So the Midrash says that Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake them up. So what did he say to them? He said, you know, why was it that Sarah was the queen of 127 provinces? Was the story, not Sarah, sorry, Esther. The story of Purim, we know Esther was married to Khashverosh, and Esther was therefore the queen of 127 provinces. So he said, Rabbi Akiva, because Esther's ancestor, Sarah, was, lived for 127 years. So that's what he said to Talmudim, they woke up and it was, you know, a nice, interesting vote. It wasn't this deep, complicated Torah that they were falling asleep. It was a nice, fresh idea, um, that, that perked them and, 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 uh, aroused them, got their attention. But the depth behind this Midrash is what was he telling them? He was telling them that just like Sarah, who lived 127 years and made the most of her years, Kula and Shavim the Torah, that the Torah, each one was equal in its goodness. In other words, she was able to extract the maximum from each day. So, so too he was telling them that this year is also unique. Like Sarah, who was able to uh, get the, make the most of each opportunity she had, you also need to make the most of this opportunity of this of the Torah that I'm teaching you, and it it won't repeat itself and it won't come again. This is a unique and special opportunity, and so he he was te- telling them a very deep message that um, they should try not to fall asleep, but to be aware and awake of the great opportunity that each moment presents itself with. And we see the parsha contrasts that that of Avram and Sarah who were switched on and who were able to extract from each day the the uniqueness and the potential of that day, the spiritual potential, that's in contrast with Ephron. Ephron, the Torah tells us about this individual whose name is Ephron, and Ephron also had an opportunity to be a great person and to be remembered for posterity, for his kindness and his benevolence and his righteousness. But unfortunately, Ephron blew it. Ephron didn't take the opportunity. He squandered the opportunity. And instead of being remembered as somebody who did great things, he's remembered as somebody who squandered his opportunity to reach greatness and a person who failed in his challenges in his life. What happened? So Sarah passes away, and Abraham wants to bury his beloved wife, his beloved Sarah. And Abraham um, approaches the elders and um, the Bnei Chet, the, the, the elders of the area, 
uh, it's amazing we're talking about him. My son actually is in Eretz Israel. He's on his way to Maratha Machpelah as we speak. Um, and he said to them he needs a place to bury his his beloved wife, Sarah. And um, the Bnei Chai say, okay, speak to Ephron. He's the man who owns the field. And he says to Ephron, I, I would like to bury my wife there. And Ephron says, what, what's a 400 silver coins? What's that between us? And go ahead and bury. Ephron originally implied that, you know, it's not a, a money thing. You can do it with pleasure. It would be my, my privilege. You're a prince of God. You're a great and holy man, says to Abraham. But when it actually came down to the event itself, Ephron wouldn't let Abraham bury Sarah until he paid him. He actually, he was a big talk. But he was little action that followed the talk. And that's what actually the Gemara in Bab Matziah says. It says it in Pirkei Avos. It says, Tzadikim oimrim ma'at v'oisim harbe, v'rashayim oimrim harbe v'oisim miat. That the Tzadikim, they say a little and do a lot. And the, the um, Gemara says, what's the example of that? That's Avram Avinu. When he, uh, in last week's Pasha, Pasha Vieira, he saw the three individuals traveling through the desert, these three Bedouins that are walking through the desert, and he says, come into my house, yukach ma'at, you'll take a little bit, I'll give you a little bit of food, a little bit of water, he says to them. But when they come, he lays on a spread like has never been seen before, a massive banquet, each one got their own tongue. So, Abraham is oimer ma'at for oise harabe, and Ephron is oimer harabe, for he promises the world, yes, Abraham, you can bury there. No problem. No, it's not a financial thing. It's not about money. Of course, it's an honor for me for you to bury your wife on, on my field. But until he paid the money, he didn't do it. So he said a lot, but he did a little. That's the derech of the Rashaim. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been talking about the great lesson that the opportunity that we have each day is unique and special and doesn't repeat itself. And we see that Sari Emenu was a master at this and as Rashi says, quoting the Midrash, that all of the days of her life were shavin l'toiva, kulan shavin l'toiva, all of them were equal in the goodness. In other words, she was able to extract the maximum from each day. And we see the Torah tells us Abraham was like that too, that Abraham became old, he came with his days. Each of his days were with him. Each day he had uh, maximized his opportunity and his potential. And that is contrasted with Ephron. Ephron, an individual who could have been remembered for greatness of giving the field to Abraham or charging him a reduced rate. Um, he promised Abraham the world, but when it came to the crunch, he charged him an exorbitant price for the field. And that's the difference between the righteous, the tzaddikim, the righteous people say little but do a lot. They're not big talks. They talk small, but they do big. And the Roshaim, those that are not righteous, they talk big. They promise the world, but when it comes to the the facts on the ground, they very rarely deliver or deliver in a much reduced way. And the actually Rav Yerucham explains this, the psychology behind this, which is quite brilliant, the great Meshkirch of the Meir Yeshiv Rav Yerucham. 
he explains and he says, I heard this from Rabbi Elephant, he explains that a person who's a big talk, who talks big, so they feel like they've already done it with their speaking. In other words, they've painted such a grandiose picture and they've made such a, a, a great promise that they feel like they've already done what they need to do and therefore they don't need to carry on. They don't need to deliver in the action. But that's the derech of the Roshayim, that Sadiqim understand and realize. And they want to hold back on what they say because they realize that the more they say, the harder it will be for them to do it, the less inclined they will be to actually do it. And therefore they'll hold back on the promises and they'll deliver on the actions. And it's a world of action. If we're just talking and we're not doing, we're not achieving anything. We are becoming like Ephron and we are viewed as an individual who's wasted our life and wasted our opportunities. And that's why Chazal say Ephron was written without a vav. It was written chaser. It was written missing because he missed his opportunity. He missed the, the this great moment when he would have been remembered for all future generations as a wonderful, benevolent individual. And he's now described as the example, the prototype of one who is not able to take his opportunities when they arrive. He's a big talk, but very small on action. And that's the, that's what we shouldn't be. That's why we should look at Ephron and realize that that's a person who squandered his opportunities in life. He's an example of one who's missed the boat. So, Mir Hashem, we should learn from the great Rav Aaron Kotler, who we've been speaking about at the beginning of the show, as somebody who took the opportunities Hashem gave him and used them to the maximum and built an incredible empire of Torah that uh, is uh, thriving to this day. And in Mir Hashem, he, he understood this lesson and this message of Avram Avinu Saraymenu of taking each day and not missing the opportunity of each day and Kulan Shavin the Toiva ending our life in Mirza Hashem after 120 years where we've made the most of the great opportunities that Hashem sends us and that is our reward for eternity. That's the purpose of life is to use those chances, those opportunities, convert them into spiritual currency and that is our eternity. That's what we will be left with for eternity when we transition from this world to the next world. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.